The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Tracy Segarra. Tracy is a storyteller living on Long Island. In high school, Tracy fell hard for someone who felt totally out of her league. After college, they reconnected and started dating, but Tracy found herself intoxicated by the fairy tale of their story instead of the reality of what it actually was, and had to try to break the spell that story had over her. Hey, Tracy, how's it going? It's going well, Brian. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for being here and doing this and being willing to share a story about heartbreak. Yes, yes. And I've never shared this story before. So this is the first time. Oh, it's an exclusive. It's kinda, it is. It is. Um, yeah. So yeah, what's the story about or where does it start? Or yeah, let's get into it. Okay, sure. So the story starts when I am 15 years old. I moved to a new town. At 15 is not a great time to be moving to a new town. Um, I remember my uh, social studies teacher, I walk into class and he says, oh, everybody, we have a new student, Tracy Miller. He goes, I'll call you Dick. And that was my, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was my welcome to Great Neck North High School <laughs> in Long Island. Um, but, you know, 10th grade, 15, you know, hormones are raging. I'm, I was boy crazy ever since I was a little kid. Um, I had like one little bit of a boyfriend when I was like 14, but um, no true love yet. But then when I moved to Great Neck, um, I meet this guy and he is so out of my league that I don't even know why I think I could even talk to him. His name is Dan. He's about six feet tall. He's got dark black hair. He's Israeli. He is, he's not just handsome. He's beautiful. He's just <laughs> beautiful, you know, and um, sweet. And uh, I'm the, I become the editor of the literary magazine. And um, he wants to be a doctor just like his father. And so he wants all these extracurricular activities so that he can, you know, get into a good school. And so he decides to join the uh, ad staff for Epiphany, which is the name of the literary magazine. And my epiphany was that he was the most beautiful <laughs> boy in school. And I would like nothing more than to date him. <laughs> so now, yeah. So now you guys are kind of like running in the same orbit at this literary magazine. Right, right. And, you know, and we have, you know, I start making friends and we have some of the same friends. Um, but he had been dating this one girl and then I knew another girl like like he was he was not really I think he was free for like a little period of time. And this is one day we go walking around town in Great Neck to try and get ad sales for the literary <laughs> magazine. So I get to spend a day with them and I am so excited and I try to be as funny as possible and amusing and alluring and all the things you want to be when you're 15, 16 years old. And so we, we just have a really nice time. We, we, it's a great vibe. We get along. And he walks me back to my house. He lives not too far from me. And I remember this so clearly. We're standing in my driveway. And he says, 
I think it was like, it was like a Friday, a Thursday, it was like a Wednesday or Thursday. And he goes, hey, he goes, what are you doing this weekend? And my heart stops. I'm like, is he going to ask me out? He's going to ask me out. I can't believe that he's going to ask me out. He doesn't ask me out. <laughs> he's just being curious about my weekend. <laughs> and, you know, and that was it. And then he starts dating this other pretty girl with blonde hair and blue eyes and like the moment has passed yeah you you felt like you had this one sliver of a moment and it and it just didn't even though the the timing was sort of there it didn't happen yeah it didn't happen and then i also remember that um um when prom came around i had a boyfriend at the time and you know i wasn't in love i he was a boyfriend he was a sweet guy um, but I remember we were, my father did some business with the limo service. So I was able to get a limo for the prom and it could fit like four or five couples. And so Dan and his date came with us and a couple of other couples in the limo. And I just remember that whole night wishing that I was Dan's date and not <laughs> the guy, the guy I went to the prom with. And so I figured that was just it. You know, that was it. High school's over. Boom. And, um, I go to college and I have fun in college and I have, I have some relationships in college, but nobody that I'm really in love with. And, um, and I graduate college and I come and I move back to New York City and I move in with my gay best friend into an apartment in Manhattan. And he kind of peripherally knew Dan and Dan is now, he graduated from his Ivy League school because he's beautiful and perfect. And um, he's going to med school in the city. And so we all start hanging out together. And so we just kind of become this crew hanging out together. And now I really get to know him like on a different level. And we both like to smoke a lot of pot. So we, we are, you know, pot smoking buddies and we just have a great time. And I'm still, you know, holding a torch for this guy. Yeah, like I was going to ask. So it's been it's been like four years since you've seen each other. And immediately you're like, oh, I got these feelings again. They're still there. Oh, yeah. They never left. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess you were sort of like acquaintance friends in high school. And now you're becoming like real friends, like actually hanging out, really, really spending time together. And for you, it's not ruining the crush. It's only making it stronger. Yeah, no, no, I am like so attracted to this boy man. And I, you know, and he's also he's a great audience because I like to think that I'm funny and he's a terrific audience. (laughs) (laughs) He thinks I'm funny, too. And um, and we have a blast. We have a blast. And then, um, you know, and I'm trying to figure out how to get this to happen. And I'm not very good. I'm not. I'm not the one to, you know, make the first move. Never have been, probably never will be. Um, So, and he's not like that either. And I know that all the women that he'd been with, they made the first move. So I'm like, well, how am I going to do this? Because I had a sense that he'd be open to this, you know, if nothing else, just to, you know, get together for a night, whatever. Um, This is, you know, late, late 80s. (laughs) So, um, So one night, he and I, it was just the two of us, and we're hanging out, and we had a bottle of Pouli Fousse. I don't know why I remember the name of the wine. It was white wine. And we drank the bottle of wine, we smoked some weed, and then we're just sitting there. And I knew, I just said, this is now or never. Like, if I don't make the first move, I I don't, 
think it'll ever happen. And so I kiss him. And it happens. <laughs> and it's great. It's great. I'm in love. I don't know what he is, but I'm in love. And, yeah, you um, have one night and you're like all in. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. this might totally. have been just an opportunistic moment for him. But for you, it's like, this is everything. Yeah, I'm naming babies. I'm naming babies. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we start hanging out again with our group of friends. Um, and then he and I, you know, keep getting together. Um, yeah, it's kind of that thing where you're like in the group and then you two kind of trail off at the point of the night and go on, go on yeah. your own separate way. Yeah, Right, right. Um, and he cautions me right from the beginning that, you know, he doesn't want this to be a, this is not a big deal for him. He wants me to know, but yet we're spending more and more and more time together. Literally, neither of us could have been seeing anybody else because we're seeing so much of each other. So, <laughs> you know, in my brain, I'm like, all right, he's going to fall in love with me because he's spending so much time with me and he's going to see how wonderful I am. And that's just the way. It's going to happen, and he's going to wake up one day. It's like, I was so blind. How could I have not known? Well, it's also that thing of like, yeah, even if he's saying like, yeah, I'm not looking for a serious thing. What you're doing is spending all your time together. Like, that's pretty, you know, it's like serious right. in its own. The the actions are speaking louder to the words for you in that moment. Yeah, yeah. But um, one night we're apart for whatever reason. And I call him the next morning just to like kind of see what's going on, whatever. And he's not there. And that's weird because he's always there. So I'm like, and it was early in the morning. And I'm like, hmm, something's not right. And he calls me later that day. And he tells me that he slept with his resident, like his boss, you know, like he was a med student. And I have never been that freaked out, like in a, in, a female male relationship before I was so destroyed. I was so destroyed that I literally couldn't eat for the next two weeks. All I did was smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. I couldn't eat. I remember I lost 10 pounds and I'm thinking to myself, well, at least if I'm going to be, have my heart broken, I'll lose weight. You know? <laughs> and, um, and it was just horrifying. And I remember the first call I made was to my drug dealer. So I was like, I need drugs um, because I couldn't handle the feelings. I mean, I was, what was I, like 23 years old and it was just, it was just devastating. And so this goes on for like two weeks. We don't talk. And I'm just like, all right, that's it. That's, it's over. And then he calls me. And apparently things did not go so well with the resident. She wasn't, you know, all that. And he begs me to take him back. <laughs> and he tells me he's so sorry. And he wants to be with me. And he wants to move in with me. And against my better judgment, except who has good judgment at age 23, you know, I take him back. I take him back. And he moves in. And um, he still, he tells me that I'm not what he's looking for in a life partner. But I, I still, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, you say that, but this is what you're doing. So obviously you don't know your own mind and, you know, everything's going to work out. Yeah, like like there are still you are writing this fairy tale and there are these clear bumps in the road and you're just yeah. like paving over them, just smoothing them out as best you can. Because you're like, no, this is the fairy tale. We're going down this path. 
Right, right. Looking back now, like there are so many red flags, you know, like him telling me he doesn't love me and he's yeah, never yeah. going to love me. <laughs> like that's a red flag, but I ignore that. You know? And it's um, hard because he is like he's being pretty upfront and you're just like, nope, that's I understand what you're saying. But like we were this is it. This is this is our yeah. future. And, you know, honestly, I was hopelessly in love with him. Yeah, I really yeah. was. It's, I, I really mean, that's was. when you're when you're in that, especially at that age, it's like. When you fall for somebody, you fall for them and it's hard to it's hard to put that other stuff even if it's like I am flat out telling you this thing, it is hard to like turn your brain off when you're in love. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of it well, it had to do with him too, but it was just it's like he was the boy in high school I could never have and now I know him in a new way and you know, now yeah. I'm I'm a little bit older and it just felt like, you know, this was meant to be. Yeah, when my my like person in high school that was like I would just dream about being with her, asked her out multiple times and she'd be like, "No, we should just be friends." <laughs> After college, we like got together one night uh-huh. and it was that like again, I there was that part of me that was like, "Yeah, this is the beginning of this fairy tale." And then there was this other part of me that was like, "Am I too old for it? like this seems like if I go down this path, I'm going to just get dragged into this thing that I I'm the story is so much better in my head than what the reality is. And the reality is it's like, we're so many years removed. Our Mm -hmm. dynamic in high school probably wasn't that healthy to begin with and this and that and this. And I, I like still, I, if I had gone down that path, I don't know what would have happened and maybe it would have been okay. But in my head, I was like, this is the more adult thing to do is to not see where this goes and just say like, you know what? That's not a healthy thing. But it took a lot to do that. I even, I would still like question. I'd say like, no, we shouldn't. And then I'd be like, well, but maybe we should. Well, you're a stronger man than me, Brian. <laughs> no, and this was not, I did not say this to be like, I won no, up no, to you no, by not I mean, doing this. But I, I, I'm just saying, and that I, I, that mindset is something I like know very well. And I know mm-hmm. the, the difficulty of being in that scenario when you, in your moment, in your head in that moment, you're like, you can't think about the, what's good and bad. Cause you're just like, I want this thing. And this is what makes yeah. sense to me. And also, it's like, it's hard for me to remember now because I'm, you know, I'm in my 50s now and I'm quite, you know, content with who I am and and who I've turned out to be. But when I was 23, I was an insecure, hot mess. And there was such a dichotomy between where his life was going and where, see, my life was going. I mean, he's in med school. He's going to be a doctor. He wants to be an anesthesiologist like his father. I'm a miserable secretary working for this, like, nonprofit uh, organization that's trying to stop overpopulation in you know latin american countries like like our lives couldn't be more different at that point and and so now you've fallen back into this old pattern of like now you're just living your life together again and going on all these adventures again Mm -hmm. but you're like still ignoring this whole like oh yeah well this isn't going to be a long-term thing right right but he you know like (laughs) like i said you know he says that this is not what he wants but he adored me too, you know. Obviously, he stayed with me. He, we loved being together. We had a great time. Um, but I do remember on one of our road trips, we were just walking from the car, going into a Denny's, and he turns to me and he says, "Will you marry me?" And I'm like, "What? What did he just say? Did he just say what I think he just said?" <laughs> and I look at him and I'm like, "What did you say?" And he goes, he goes, um, I didn't mean it. And he goes, I just wanted to see what it would feel like to propose to someone. 
<laughs> I oh, look man. back at that now and I'm like, what an asshole. What a yeah, that's such a fucked up say. thing, especially kind of knowing the dynamic, right? Of being like, yeah. he's setting this thing up like, yeah, I'm the guy who's not getting too committed and you're all in it. And then he puts that out there is like, yeah. it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And I do punch him in the chest and tell him never, <laughs> never, never to play with my emotions in such a way. And then, you know, I mean, we lived together for about, I guess, like a year and a half. And during that time, we get heavily into cocaine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, seriously. And it's, not, and it's not a drug I ever, like, had the money for and whatever. So we're doing all these drugs. And he, go, he went to an Ivy League school. And we go to these parties with all of his Ivy League friends. And we go to this one party. And it is literally a cocaine party. Like, there are mounds of cocaine everywhere. And I remember talking to this one girl and we're like getting high. And of course, you're cocaine. Everybody's just like chattering nonstop. And she's like snorting one line after another. She's like, yeah, I used to have a problem with cocaine, but I went to rehab and I'm much better now. (laughs) It was just, it was insane. It was insanity. And I would do cocaine and then go to work the next day. And he'd go to med school. And it was just, it was just crazy. Um, but, you know, we were just living the life. I was 23. I wasn't thinking about what the future held. But he decides his last semester of med school, he's going to spend it abroad, away from me. So that's like, whatever, like four months that he's away. And during that time, I'm alone in this apartment by myself. And I'm kind of forced to look at my life. Oh, and by the way, like, one thing I didn't mention is that he decides that he's going to do his residency in California. It's always been his dream to move to California. He has not asked me to go with him to California. So ipso facto, that means we're going to be breaking up when he graduates from med school, unless he decides to ask me to go. Because if he'd asked me to go, I would have gone in a heartbeat. Not knowing, I mean, I had nothing tying me to New York. I was in a miserable job. Um, so he's, so he leaves for his last semester and then he's going to like finish his semester and move to California. Yeah, pretty much. And we haven't talked about what's going to happen in our relationship because he's passive. So he's just going to like, let it happen. You're like sitting at this apartment alone and in your head, you're like, okay, he's not with me now. He's going to come back and then he's going to leave without me again. Like you've already put the pieces together of what this is going to be. Right. And, you know, mostly I don't like to face facts <laughs> at this stage in my life. But one night I went out and with our, our buddy, did a bunch of cocaine and then did a bunch of drinking. And you can't go to sleep after doing so much cocaine. So I'm just watching television and there's, you know, that commercial comes on back in the day. There's a, there's a guy with a frying pan and an egg. And he says, this is your brain. And he cracks in the frying pan. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And I've been laughing at this commercial for years, you know, while being stoned, of course. But this morning, with everything that's going on in my life, I suddenly realize he's talking about me. And the gig is up. And I have made a whole unholy mess of my life. And, um, and I realize I need help. I realize that I have a drug problem, I have a drinking problem. And um, so... I start to get sober while he's away at his last year of med school, last semester med school, I'm getting sober in New York and I'm meeting all these people and I'm learning how to live my life differently. I'm, 
I used to be such a hermit, but now meetings are all over Manhattan. So I'm learning how to use the subways and go into different meetings. And um, meanwhile, he's writing me letters and he's calling me and he's asking me to spend a vacation, <laughs> vacation in quotes with him, when he comes back one last trip that we will drive. He's going to be doing his residency in San Francisco. We're going to drive from Tijuana. We're going to drive from San Francisco down to Tijuana, the coast of Mexico, stopping at all these places along the way. And he says that this is a great idea. And he begs me, begs me to go with him. And I remember telling people, you know, that I'm learning, you know, meeting in these rooms of recovery and they're like, you absolutely cannot go. You are going to get high again. This is the worst idea possible. Do not go on a breakup vacation with your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, because you've started to put the pieces together of like, yeah, this isn't going to work out. And I am starting to like build my life as a person. I'm fixing things in my life. I'm, I'm making it so I'm not just living this like right. life in New York where I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what's going on with my life. And yeah, so it feels like you're starting to actually build this life for yourself rather than be kind of like tied to him and his life. And now he's trying to pull you back in, even though it's like a pull you back in only to just like throw you away at the end, I guess. Yeah, I was still holding on to a shred of hope that he would see me again and he'd say, come live with me. Yeah, like you finish the road trip and he says, I don't want this to end Right. Like, let's start our new life in California. Right. Like, why can't my life be a movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which it is. It's like, that's, yeah, it's such a movie, <laughs> such a movie line. And you get, yeah, you get, you get like, you get kind of addicted to that idea. And I also, I hadn't seen him for four months. So I didn't want to just like see him for like a day and then he's gone. Yeah. You you still miss this person, even though you in your life are saying like, yeah, these are some unhealthy things, and this is probably not an unhealthy, uh, not a healthy dynamic. You still miss this person at the end of the day, and you, as you said, you still have that part of your brain that is like, "Yeah, we should be together." Right. Right. So we go to California. <laughs> oh, so yeah, so it happens. <laughs> so I go because I am headstrong, and nobody is gonna. But I remember telling the people at the meetings, "I'm like, I'm gonna stay sober." Just you watch. Just despite you, I'm going to stay sober. And does he know this about you now? Like, have he you does. talked to him about it? Yes. And I'm trying to get him sober because I think he's got a problem, too, because he does everything that I've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we go to California. He rents or he bought a car. He rents a car. I forget what it was. But I remember it was this little blue car. And we drive everywhere. We camp out like on the cliffs above Big Sur. We drive through the Redwood Forest. We go to Yosemite. It's like the most beautiful scenery. And I am the most unhappy, you know, desolate human that I could ever, ever be because this is not a vacation. I don't know what this is. I don't know what I've gotten myself into. But one thing I do know is that I'm going to stay sober. I'm like, you know what? I have a life to go back to. I have to. I know that I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to build my life back in some way. And I'm like, I'll be damned if I'm going to prove them right and I'm going to get high while I'm here. 
And he takes me to meetings. He takes me to meetings every day. I go to a meeting either every day or every night. And he waits for me outside the meeting. And then we go on to our next place. And we go to Tijuana. And on the way back, they search the car for drugs. And thankfully, there weren't any. And I mean, none for me. But who knows what's going on for him, with him. And um, the last night that we were together, my sister at the time lived in Venice Beach. And um, she gave me my four-year-old niece's bedroom. And so our last night is spent in my four-year-old niece's bedroom with, like, stuffed animals. And, um, you know, we make love for the last time. And I just cry and cry. I just, I'm so lost. And I'm just, it's, it's like I can't even comprehend what's happening. And um, it doesn't feel real. And, um... You know, he, uh, he takes me to the airport the next day, and uh, that's it. That's it. It's over. Um, and I don't hear from him for a long time. And for the first six months when I get back, when I go to meetings, you know, you go to meetings and you raise your hand to share, usually share about how you want to drink or get high or whatever what you're doing to, to not do that. I spent that time talking about Dan. <laughs> People were so sick of hearing about my ex <laughs> They're like, you need to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, like, this is past the meeting stuff. Like, this is past meeting chair. You need to go work on some other stuff. <laughs> so they're like, that's an outside issue. And I did. And, I got, and I, I got into therapy for the first time. And I talked about him an awful lot, too. Um, and it was just, I, I couldn't get over him. He, like, he still, he filled up. My days and my nights were all thoughts of him and what went wrong and what could have been different. And, you know, and how can I stop loving him, you know, because I still was so in love with him. And, um, and I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to let go. I didn't know how to let go at all. About, I don't know how many months later, like seven, eight months later, he calls me. And... I, I had a feeling that at some point he would call me and I didn't know what he was going to say. Hopefully he was going to apologize or whatever. I didn't know what he was going to say, but I'm still not over him. And he calls me and he tells me that he got someone pregnant and that she is a very strict Catholic and that she's keeping the baby. And he doesn't think that this is the woman he wants to spend the rest of his life with, but he's going to make a go of it. He's going to mow the lawn and be a suburban dad. And my first thought upon hearing this is, why are you telling me this? Why am I the person you call? Like, yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot to up yeah. with that? I'm going to talk to the last person I was in a long relationship <laughs> with about how I got somebody else pregnant. <laughs> And I'm going to be a father now. Yeah, like, I wonder, is in that moment, is he trying, is he calling you to say, like, for you to say, like, no, we should be together instead? Like, is he wait? Is he trying to get an no. out? Like, <laughs> no, no. I think what he's doing, what he's doing is he wants me to comfort him. Because I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like that, you know, I mean, we did have an emotional attachment. And I think, like, when the shit hits the fan, I was the person he thought of to call yeah, which is fair. Like he's still there is still that attachment that exists even though yeah, you're not together anymore and 
yeah needing somebody in that moment but yeah that's a that's a lot to put on that's a lot to put on you in that scenario but you know the funny thing is after i hung up that phone for the first time i had to face that he was out of my life and i had to let go and i that was the first day that i was able to start letting go of him because i'm like you know what he's moved on he's moved on you know? And I, I have a life I can live. I'm only 25 years old, you know? There's still a lot I can do with my life, and I need to let go of him in order to be able to do it. And uh, so I did. I did. I start living my own life. And um, it's been a pretty good life, you know? I've been able to do incredible things. I became a reporter, and now I'm, you know, I... I was in marketing for many years. I, uh, I um, became a storyteller, you know, started my producing my own storytelling shows. It's like, you know, I've had, I, I have two children. I have twins who I absolutely adore. And if I'd married him, I would have never had them. And uh, I loved, I've loved being a mother. It's like the most amazing thing to ever happen to me. You know, I think, I think when you're young and you're in love, like, you know, it's a very different kind of love than when you have children, you know? And um, I always knew in the back of my mind that, I, you know, not everybody should have children, wants to have children, and that's fine. But I was one of those people who always knew that I wanted to have kids. And it has been the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life is to raise, is to raise my kids. So, uh, you know, I've had a great life, you know? But uh, it's funny. I... Um, I recently talked to, to Dan's brother, who he and I, he was a year younger than Dan, and he and I were very good friends. Even in high school, we were friends and, uh, and afterwards. And uh, he reached out to me, and we had this like, long conversation, caught up on each other's lives. And uh, of course, at one point, I'm going to ask about Dan. And um, I knew that Dan had he married late, but he got married, but he never had another child. He had that child that didn't work out with the other woman. But um, he got married, I don't know, about like 10 years ago or so. And um, his son, the one who he called me about all those years ago, is now all grown up, I think in his 30s, just got married, and he's about to have a baby. So Dan's going to be a grandpa. Wow. And I, yeah, and I'm just thinking, like, it's really like kind of full circle from that phone call, you know, all those years ago. Yeah, like you definitely ended up in this place that you wanted to be and who knows, I guess where he if he ended up in the place that he wanted to be mm-hmm. or eventually. Maybe he eventually did. But it seemed like he he kind of skipped around a little bit to before getting there. Yeah. Um this is just like one thing I was thinking about when you were telling the story is when you're on this road trip with him, this like kind of final road trip and you're talking about being in the woods and feeling really alone at that moment were you sort of realizing both like because again you're kind of like trying to just fix yourself and and get clean and things like that are you, are you starting to see maybe like the cracks of being with Dan as much as you're like I love this person and I want to be with this person is that sort of the time where you're realizing like oh I as much as I'm want to be with this person I'm seeing like why this doesn't work or is it or maybe that's something that I was just like reading into the way you talked about it but it did the way you sort of said it it made it feel like you were sort of starting to see like this isn't good for me 
Yeah, I think, you know, because I'd only been sober, I don't know, like maybe 90 days, you know, before we went on this trip, which is not a whole lot of time. But in that time, I had already started, you know, because it was the first time I was looking inward because I, I didn't want to see what I was doing with my life. But, you know, when you get sober, you're kind of forced to. Yeah. Um, and you have nothing to deaden any of your feelings with, right? Um, so I think I was starting to see that this was not a healthy relationship. Um, and I later on found out that every time I went to a meeting, he was getting high. Oh, man. (laughs) And like, part of me was like, oh, I'll, I'll get him sober. And then once he gets sober, he'll be able to look at himself and then we can be together, you know? So there was still a little bit of that fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you were starting the next chapter of what you thought your lives would be, and he right. was still like ref- just on his own path, and and you couldn't drag him no. to this path that yeah w- probably could have been better for both of you in the long run. And uh, man, yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, I remember I had left. There was a recovery book that I had that I brought with me, and I I uh, I don't remember now if I mistakenly left it behind or if I purposely left it behind <laughs> for him. And, uh, you know, I get home and he mailed it back to me. (laughs) (laughs) A real real refusal to even (laughs) pretend to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Tracy. That was a really enjoyable adventure. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And I'm glad that you're happy with the place you ended up in your life because it sounds like a really great life to be living right now. It really is. And I get to meet cool people like you who have these great podcasts. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah. Do you, I mean, I know you said, I know you produce tons of shows and I know this is a weird time to plug things. uh, But yeah, do you have, if people want to find out more about stuff you got going on or just follow you on social media, how how can they do that? Yeah. My website is tracysegarra.com, T-R-A-C-E-Y-S-E-G-A-R-R-A.com. I am doing, I do do uh, storytelling workshops. I'm doing an intro to storytelling workshop over. This will be the third one I'm doing during the pandemic. And it's um, limited to just six people so that we really have time to get to know each other and work on stories. So that's going to start in October. And uh, that's pretty much it. Cool. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Tracy. All right. Thanks, Brian. This is how we This is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at Love Hurts Pod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts. <laughs>